0: Welcome to Stonewall Spotlight, a monthly podcast by the Stonewall Democratic Club that will cover the most salient issues in democratic politics and, as always, told through an LGBT and feminist lens. I'm your co host, Mackenzie Hussman, and I want to thank you for tuning in and joining us for this special episode before the historic 2020 presidential election.
1: That's right. Mackenzie and I, am Marcus Lovingood, your co-host. We have quite the episode for you today to wrap up a very, very stressful and long election season. We sit down with David Vela, our incredible, incredible Vice President of Communications. Ryan Basham has a wonderful conversation with him, as well as an expose from our own Jonathan Welch. Let's get right to that interview with Ryan Basham and David Vella. We are so pleased to welcome David Vela to Stonewall Spotlight. David Vela is a member of the Board of Trustees for the Los Angeles Community College District Three. He is Stonewall's endorsed candidate. Please welcome David Vela.
2: Hey Ryan, how are you?
1: I'm great. How are you?
2: I'm doing fantastic.
1: Awesome. Um, I'm so excited you're here. And you know, we there are questions that I wanted to ask, but but as we as I got you know all my mics and stuff plugged in, the one, one thing I was thinking about is. Why LA Community College Board why did you choose this body to run to be seated on of all the things you could have run for?
2: Yeah that's actually really easy to answer. Uh, look, you know Los Angeles Community College District is the largest community college district in the United States with nine colleges, over 70% of the county of Los Angeles and really our population um, you know of uh, you know we have uh, a lot of people of color and as students. A lot of immigrants. Um, so when you know you want to make a difference in the future for someone, you know, in particular for me, it was important to always focus on improving access to higher education um, for everyone in Los Angeles County. It is probably the the you know number one thing to uh, increase uh, people's uh, quality of life. And really, at the end of the day, an education is a great equalizer in this country. If you look at statistics, um, people who either, you know, go into a community college or above after high school tend to do better um, and tend to have a, um, a better shot at what, you know, the American dream is.
1: I was with a friend uh, this past weekend who who does a lot of hiring in the sciences, and she said, let me tell you, from personal experience, there's a massive pay disparity between people who have degrees and people who don't, regardless oh. of what your skill set is. It's a real no, thing.
2: Absolutely. And you, um, know, it, it, you know, it's not, I think what a lot of people get confused is that people really tend to say, well, if I go to community college, this is it, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Actually, to be honest with you, community college and then further higher ed Really, just kind of gives you a lot of tools. It's it's really a tool set to do things that you might want to do that are not related to what you go and study and, you know. And so it's, I think a lot of people, uh, you know, put it in a compartment. But in reality, it's probably one of the best tools that we can have as human beings, just to, you know, get yourself out there and and have some type of higher ed.
1: Mm, oh. Yes, I, I think of the community college district as one of the crown jewels of Los Angeles. Uh, So, um, in addition to, um, well, let's, let's, let's back up. I, I, I got, I got ahead of myself because one of the first things I want to talk to you about is something I'm really, really curious about. Can you tell us about an LGBTQ bill of rights and how it will affect the LA educational community and those seeking an education in LA?
2: Absolutely. So when I joined the board in 2018, I went ahead and really talked to the rest of the board of trustees. Um, and you know, tried really hard um, and, and successfully uh, got their attention in order to um, start a LGBT uh, affairs committee that m- met every quarter. Um, and these are stakeholders from all over Los Angeles County. We had people from, you know, council Mitchell Farrell's office to uh, Mayor Garcetti, to Latino Quality Alliance, LA LGBT center. So we all met and we all met to essentially form the LGBT Bill of Rights, what would be the LGBT Bill of Rights um, at the LA Community College District. Um, and, you know, it was a two-year endeavor. And when you look at it, it literally has all of the components that our students wanted to see in there, really protections for LGBTQ uh, students of all ages, of all colors, of all ethnicities. Um, and then also putting, uh, you know, a lot of uh, opportunity for faculty to weigh in, for example, um, making sure that they, the, pronouns were correct whenever we deal with faculty. A lot of our transgender students, for example, they have their own name, that's not always their names taken. So we wanna make sure that um, their name is also uh, known by our professors. So we're working on that. Um, and then there's some pretty major stuff in there. Uh, for example, that for uh, we are looking for LGBT uh, owned businesses to do business with the, with the LA Community College District. And overall protections, you know, safe centers, safe zones, um, ensuring that our students feel comfortable and are able to be out. You know, I think for me, it was just an opportunity to really kind of take what was already there and just organize it and then put it on paper. And the resolution was passed um, at our last board meeting in October, which is great news. Um, and then also, it's available on our website, um, on our board uh, uh, board of trustees website to view.
1: That's so cool. You know, I think people underestimate the concept of a bill of rights and how much power can have. It makes me think of like the um, airline passenger bill of rights that passed a few years past Congress a few (laughs) years ago and how it changed the experience for flying for people who get stuck on a plane. I mean, these things can really make a real difference. Um, And, and uh, you know, I have a friend, I like to, when I do interviews, I like to toss in anecdotes. You're going to have to bear with me. I I have a friend whose daughter is in college in Orange County and this year, right now. And one of our professors started talking about how homosexuality is a sin in oh. class. And and I and I thought, and, and as you said, I thought, imagine if they there had a bill of rights like this. Imagine if there was a universal standard for how we do and don't talk about these things. And, you know, I mean, and, and all of the rest. So thank you for what you're doing, because, uh, you know, I mean, we are fortunate that we get to be on a, a, a little radio podcast show and talk about these things. You you're, know, we're in it, We're in
2: and, and to be honest with you, you, know you can have it both ways. You can not have a publicly funded, for example, uh, community college district like we have here in Los Angeles, and not really talk about secular. You know, uh, putting religion to the side and ensuring that you know our students feel safe no matter what religion they are sexual orientation. And so we forget about sometimes the fact that. You know, this country, that is the, the reason why we're all able to get along. It's a plurality component of, of religion. But that doesn't mean that that is, you know, what goes into our government system. Mm. Uh, you just saw, uh, you know, Father Pope Francis um, declare that same-sex civil unions are a good thing for the Catholic Church. Obviously, he didn't say get married in our church, but uh, (laughs) I don't know if you're going to go that far. But what what you can see from there is that there's a separation, right? In his, uh, you know, statement, he's letting people know, look, there is a separation between church and state and you have countries where successfully they do that. I mean, Italy's one, even though they're completely uh, Catholic, they're able to, their government is secular. In the United States, we are that way truly in the way that we, Operate, but you know uh, when I think the Republican Party gets involved, they really like to bring in um, Christianity into mm-hmm. the government equation, which is absolutely not right, and it should never be right. Yeah, um, they, they they do it under the
1: guise of religious liberty, and the only problem with that is that there's only one religion that counts. Yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, uh, in addition to that, um, uh, you've also proposed some other pro-equality initiatives. Uh, can you tell me about a Lavender District? Uh, like So, a Lavender dist- District-wide graduation, and can you tell me a little bit about how that was conceived and how it would work?
2: Yeah, so we had a student uh, named Sarah, uh, actually a faculty member, uh, Sarah uh, uh, Gracola-Garcia, and then several of our LGBT students that started the first ever uh, LGBT graduation. I mean, if you look at major colleges and universities, I know at UCLA where I graduated from, we had the um, Raza grad, which was all the um, Chicano students getting together, graduating on their own. And that, this was a very similar concept. Um, and so they started it at LA City College. And then the second year I was appointed uh, to the board in 2018, um, you know, I said, hey, can we grow this, right? Why reinvent the wheel? So what we did is we, we announced to all nine colleges that there would be a Lavender graduation where anyone who identifies as LGBT, uh, non-binary, ally can graduate with us. And I mean, it really honestly, I mean, I was so moved. Um, it was probably, you know, we, we, we do the hard work out there. We're trying to implement, you know, ethnic studies, LGBT, all of the things we need to do. But when you see people graduate, in a place where they feel safe, where, you know, they don't feel they're going to be judged. Um, it is fantastic. And it's started off small. It's growing. Uh, the, in 2018, we had uh, about 45 uh, graduates. Um, in 2019 last year, um, I mean, sorry, in 2020 this year, we had over 75 and um, wow. it just keeps growing. We had it over Zoom. And again, it's it's just a, a, a well uh you know organized uh graduation that's heavily needed for our our lgbt students
1: that's so cool yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm jealous i know
2: undergrad too
1: wow you know part of me is like can i just reel back the clock ever however many years it takes for me to be young enough to be like that be my cohort i'll go back to school now just so i can get this lavender graduation because i Hopefully, this is not an option
2: and I want to clarify, there was, I believe, uh, a group at UCLA uh, called La Familia, and the leader was Ray, I forget his last name, but he did, I think he did start the first ever LGBT graduation. At that time, I wasn't out, so, you know, I didn't walk mm-hmm. with the LGBT folks, um, but you know, everyone knew I was a big, you know,
1: everyone. <laughs> it it's... There. It's always interesting when you come out to somebody and they're like, oh, okay. Yeah, I know. Thank you, though.
2: Yeah. I mean, um, <laughs> hey, we, we knew that, you know, when I was dating at, uh, girls at UCLA, I remember people which is, you know, but it was cool. It was something, hey, you know, we all go through experiences.
1: Yeah, yeah. Everybody has their own journey. Um, So uh, speaking of... Um, Everyone's unique journey. You've also proposed inclusive programs for the trans community, uh, which is much needed, including uh, trans job fair to provide job opportunities for trans individuals within your school system. Um, and and uh, similarly, I'm curious where that what you modeled that after, uh, if it was done elsewhere before or if this was an original idea and and what challenges and obstacles you see for making this a reality.
2: So, you know, I've had a lot of history, you know, with um, the trans community. I have a close friend of mine, Bambi Salcedo, who really created the awareness of of the trans community of all colors. Um, And then also looking at the way um, people of color, in particular African-American trans people, were treated in this country. They're the number one statistics when it comes to, you know, people being murdered for who they are. And, um, and then it evolved and, you know, awareness that way. And then it evolved into meeting uh, trans uh, leaders who own businesses, um, you know, franchises like Boy Loco who were giving jobs to uh, the trans community. Because, you know, one of the things that when you look at uh, categories, you know, a lot of people who are trans do not get the opportunity to work um, because people might see that, that, you know, wouldn't be what they want at their jobs. And so, this actually came yet again from our students, our amazing students at LA Trade Tech. Um, and I just, you know, love them to death. And again, all I did was support it was, you know, make sure that the resources got there and former president Larry Frank who was fantastic, um, put that together with our students. And we it, it was a huge success, over 200 participants. We had employers there on the spot, uh, interviewing, hiring, um, you know, but we've got a lot to do in that. You know, we really do. Um, You know, I think that, that um, the way we treat our trans members of the LGBT community is the way that people of color have to understand that African-American community is the way that we need to help them achieve um, as well, because we're all in this together. So, you know, there's a lot more work to be done, honestly, Ryan, on that.
1: Yeah, I think that the the agenda on the right is uh, to, to divide and conquer. If they can keep all of us who have some kind of otherness about us in our own little boxes, we can't band together and make things better for everybody. So that we're actually all collaborating and working together is uh, yeah, that, is how we win.
2: Really I mean, that's really it. When you look at, um, that's why I really do, you know, a lot of people I've been criticized, well, you're so one issue person, you're, you're always defending LGBT. And that's that's such a horrible thing to say, because can I tell you, every single walk of life can be LGBT. That's the beauty of our community, that mm. we could be African-American, we could be Asian. And, you know, I often talk, tell my my um, hetero uh, partners in life and people that I love that, you know, that's the beauty. I love being LGBT because I have friends of every single, um, you know, aspect of life in it's just fantastic that we can all, and we all can all unite over that one thing. So,
1: That's so cool. I think that's why, I think that's what they're really trying to say with X-Men. That's, I think that's what they're really trying true. to say. You got it. Hey, yeah. by the
2: way, you need to call Marvel. That's it.
1: That's right. That's all. Listen, Marvel figured this out for you. Um,
2: <laughs> um,
1: so let's talk about Dream Resource Centers. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that because I'd love to know what you'll be doing in order to reach out to African-American and Hispanic students, and especially immigrants who have come to the U.S. to receive a world-class education.
2: Wow. You know, that's such a great question. So, you know, at first it was separated. It was like the Dreamers and then you had our LGBT students and then our African-American students, Um, and we were kind of doing three separate things to help our students, and I certainly led the fight um, to ensure that we uh, put dollars together for African-American outreach and retention for students. Um, I went ahead and supported uh, Assembly Member Weber's bill on, um, you know, uh, repealing Prop 209. The the Board of Trustees wrote a a letter and, you know, was actively calling um, members of state legislature to ensure that that happened and that, you know, we, we, we let them know we supported it. And so that's going to be a big component of increasing our, you know, faculty diversity. And then our student side, you know, we've set aside um, only about $2 million and we're going to continue to set aside dollars for equity. Uh, we in, implemented the framework for racial justice and equity, which actually will have policies that will, we recognize that the African-American community in particular has a tougher time uh, in uh, completion and transfer at the LACCD. And I think that, you know, it evolved into that. And then our, again, our students together, our dreamers united with our African-American community. And then you had the LGBT community, Uh, a lot of our LGBT, we don't have uh, LGBT centers yet at each of our colleges. And um, so what what a lot of the, LGBT folks and African-American students are coming together at the Dream Resource Centers, which are up. But again, look, we created the framework. We um, now have to continue to fund them. And, you know, it's uh, through being chair of the Public Affairs and Legislative Committee, we went ahead and went to Sacramento and put some line items and did some bills to ensure that we get those resources. But, you know, COVID hit and, uh, um, you know, the state legislature said, you know, right now we're only focusing on COVID-19 bills. But what we were able to do, you know, two things um, with my leadership was, number one, we went ahead and um, uh, worked to support the state legislature version of the state budget, which um, created no cuts. Um, the May governor's main revise had 10% cuts to community colleges. We supported um, and heavily uh, supported and advocated for the legislature's um, version of the state budget, which only costs for deferrals. We were able to advocate for COVID-19 block grants, which allowed us to buy a lot of uh, technology and other things to help our students, uh, you know, remote learning wise. And um, so, so it all came, it's all coming together under a big umbrella of equity at LACCD where we're helping the different uh, communities. But the Dream Resource Centers are very important. You saw the debate last night. I mean, for, you know, Donald Trump to say, um, these people are brought by coyotes. And that's not the truth. The truth is, is that it's their family that brings them. If, you know, families raise money to ensure that people get here, they try to apply the right way first. Uh, and what a lot of people don't talk about is that, um, of course, you know, there is no way to citizenship. Um, so, of course, you're going to try your best to come here and unite with your extended family because there really is no way for in particular, um, you know, south of the border, people have a, a way to citizenship or apply. And if it is, it's more than 10 years. So the immigration system is broke. So, again, the, the Dream Resource Centers take care. We had a fundraiser last night, uh, which was amazing. Uh, a close friend of mine uh, put it together, as well as um, some of the staff at Valley College. So raised uh, about $10,000 there. Congressman Tony partners was there. So lots being done, but, you know, unfortunately... Um, It takes stuff like this to let people know what we're doing. So thank you, thank you, Ryan, and and Marcus, your producer as well.
1: Oh gosh, I mean, butter me up all you want um, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> well, well, we're grateful for what you do too And that's why. Um, well, one of the reasons Why Stonewall endorsed you, but we're going to get to bragging on you In a second <laughs> um, uh, uh, You brought up something that I, I definitely Want to ask you about because it's kind of like the Elephant-sized um, mi- microbe In the room, um, COVID-19 Has no one in sight, I think um, Public experts are saying that we probably Won't stop wearing masks and social distancing Until 2022 uh, We currently have a national death toll that exceeds two Hundred twenty thousand, with a total failure to coordinate a federal response from the Trump administration Um, and LA County has been hit particularly hard. Um, So with local governments taking a financial hit during this pandemic, um, how do you respond um, and how do our school systems respond to the COVID-19 pandemic and what will be required to get students back to school safely?
2: That's a really good question. So right off the bat, look, we do as good as the state does. So if the state Um, You know, luckily with uh, Governor Gavin Newsom, he was able to, um, you know, put together, again, a more, you know, healthy fiscal outlook. Um, We were able to collect more in taxes uh, this year than we had anticipated. So Prop 98 determines how much baseline money the community colleges get throughout the state. We account actually for 10% of that budget because we're so large. So it's always Mm -hmm. of interest to us for people to, you know, pay their taxes and, and so on and so forth. So let me just
1: pause you for a second. So statewide, 10% of the community college budget goes to LA County.
2: Just to just to LA community college district. I mean, LA County still has several other community colleges, but we have 70% of the county and yeah, we can mm. like 10%, but you know, it's a large amount. But when you look at where LA County is in the way that we give taxes over to Sacramento, it's, it's a lot more than um, what, you know, most counties. So, you know, at the end of the day, so that's the baseline. Then after that, um, we have to ensure that everything gets distributed fairly um, and that our students are able to have access um, to learning, really. So one of the biggest things is that, you know, we, we, we advocated for, you know, lottery funds as well to be used now for laptops and hotspots and certain connections, you know, I'm so proud of Senator Lina Gonzalez who endorsed my campaign. She was out there ensuring that utilities uh, provided uh, broadband to cities um, and also a grants to cities to provide uh, more internet connectivity. And, you know, we, you know that it's not the same in every community. So, you know, those things we're working on, we're working on remote learning. We're trying to give away more laptops. My philosophy is if you're paying us tuition, um, and you're not going into our building, the least we could do is lend you a laptop so you can learn from home and somehow connect you with internet. I mean, bottom line, you're paying, we're trying to provide education. So that's like that, and we're 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 getting there. I mean, our our um, staff is getting there. We hired a great woman uh, who's our CIO. She was from the Chicago Community Colleges, one of the largest as well. And she's now our CIO and she's fantastic, Carmen Litz. So she's working really hard to connect all of our students uh, to the internet. Now regarding masks, look, I personally wear a mask for everything because so much changes, right? Directions from CDC to the state, to the county. So with our students, it's really the same concept. Um, We are working together with where the county's at. So if the county feels that it's safe to be able to have a hybrid model, for example, which they're modeling in K-12, uh, but Los Angeles is not ready yet. We we continue to have spikes. And, you know, these spikes really have a lot to do with how proximity and how we're closer to family members, people living uh, together in apartments. Our housing obviously needs um, some some breathing room. So, so as the county goes, we will start opening. But you're right, it's going to be about a year until you'll finally see uh, people going into uh, classrooms. But we are starting with things that are hard to convert. You know, for example, if there's a, course outside like uh, we have at trade tech where we train uh, people to do the telephone uh, you know uh, connectivity up on those poles I you know we can't do that from home so we're gonna have to make exceptions um, and you know I, I'm excited I'm a proponent of bringing things you know very very carefully um, and, and and there's has to be a balance and our students I think are resilient and they will they will definitely um, uh, do well.
1: They'll rise to the occasion. They will. They yeah. will.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, so uh, uh, we didn't prepare you for this question, so I'm going to spring this on you. But I'm 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 curious. Um, uh, if if you are reelected, and we hope that you are. What do you see are, as your biggest barriers to implementing your agenda going forward?
2: That's a really good question. Um, you know, I I think one of the biggest barriers is going to be. Um, bringing together, I believe, uh, a plan that everyone can stick to um, and that we can see as really a blueprint um, to a more progressive way of of, uh, learning. So when I refer to that, it's like our remote learning capabilities, you know, um, really need to improve. Um, But having everyone on board to do that, um, because a lot of people sometimes... Um, There is a school of thought that, you know, remote learning, it it should only be temporary. But when you think about it, it can be integrated. Um, You know, also um, new ways, uh, new technology. I just saw yesterday at a nursing course uh, at Southwest College where augmented reality is going to start being used instead of, you know, our traditional, um, you know, know, I don't like to call them mannequins. But where nursing students practice on now, we can do it through. AR goggles and you can see literally everything. It's fantastic. So wow. I think I think getting everyone to um move into the direction of um the future and implementing technology um is not and I don't blame people who don't want to incorporate technology um right away, but that is the future. Even without COVID, um the future is uh augmented reality. It's working together um, to ensure that people are able to have flexibility, you know, from home. You know, uh, New York Times and Wall Street Journal say that the workplace will never be the same because people have caught on, hey, I can work from home. It's the same thing with, with studying, right? Um, because traditional online colleges have always been very rudimentary. Now you're seeing that, you know, you can tune in later, you can you tune in on YouTube, you can do it live. Um, and so I think that uh, the technology piece and, and But other than that, I, I do feel that this current board and this administration, and maybe has a little bit to do with me, I hope, you know, <laughs> that, you know, they are really thinking uh, very progressive and, and supporting a lot of really bold initiatives to move forward. And so um, I, I'm really excited. And, you know, stuff like this, again, you all just helping spread the word um, to, to go to the LA community colleges. I mean, you know, I'm one part of it, but I would love to see more of our Angelinos Check out our nine colleges. They're wonderful. Um, we have a lot to uh, to be excited about.
1: Mm, awesome. So uh, before we let you go, uh, I would love to, to know, um, how can we support you? How can listeners support your campaign?
2: Yeah. So, you know, please, please, uh, you know, I would love to have all of your support to our listeners out there. Um, you know, check out Bella for LACCD.com. Um, you know, turn in your ballot um, as soon as you can. And and really at the end of the day, you know, just, you know, do, look at what people, um, you know, are doing in order to um, help out um, in particular LGBT community. I, I do think that representation um, does matter. And, you know, that's the reason why um, I'm also supporting um, and I would love for everyone to support Nichelle Henderson and C5. Um, who is fantastic. She's an educator. And um, you know she is um, you know, somebody that I think is also going to add diversity into our board. Um, but, you know, I think we really have to um, you know do our research and then second of all, really think about the way that, you know, um, moving forward, we get the word out about our colleges and the fact that we have this gem here. And you you know i honestly think community college is the future you know you, you we see the uc system um you know in a i went to uc i mean you see my diplomas back here i don't think i would have gone in right now i'll be blunt i mean I, you can't get in there without a 4.900 uh you know i had a 3.0 back in the 1990s you know so um community colleges are a future um you know we're working to increase our four-year degrees we're working with guaranteed admission programs with Loyola Marymount and other private universities. And we're really working together with Cal State LA, for example, um, and looking to move to Cal State Northridge to create um, uh, bridge programs so that our students are able to have um, a way. So it's, it's just an exciting time. So. I mean, That's so, so
1: cool. Looking to the future. Uh, speaking of the future, um, uh, you're, you I think we're quite impressed with you, and we have big plans for you. So uh, we expect big things. <laughs> Omg! Oh, um, oh, uh We're so grateful you were able to join us today. Uh, it's really exciting to talk to someone who is uh, doing the doing the hard, the good hard work. Uh, making a little good trouble uh, at at the yeah, local I'm level because people trouble. people yeah people focus on uh, the presidential ticket and things like that but you know it w- races all the way down to dog catcher matter and I think especially yeah. when it comes to the yeah. education of our of our children and young adults. Um, and I want um, to
2: thank Secretary Secretary of State Alex Padilla for putting the Community College District first in your ballots. Okay, so
0: yes
2: uh, they they took they did the opposite this time because they knew that so many people don't vote for these seats so um, <laughs>
1: yes yeah i, I bubbled you that. in first
2: no shame in that yeah for sure
1: well um Uh, Thank you again, David. Uh, David Vela is the Stonewall endorsed candidate for LA Community College District 3 as a board member. I I was going to say
2: peace, but it's three. It's
1: three. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He has been a progressive champion for the LGBTQ community, the first openly LGBTQ member of the board and other underrepresented voices as well. As he said, you can learn more about him at vela for laccdcom David, thank you for joining us.
2: Thank you, Ryan. Thank you guys so much. This was so much fun. My name is David Vela, and I'm running for the Los Angeles Community College District, C3, and I am Stonewall.
3: I will never forget the first election I voted in, and you probably remember yours too. I got to vote right after I turned 18, the registration deadline was a week after my birthday, and I went to the polls with my mom. It was her first time, too, and that shocked me. A mouthy Bostonian woman who had an opinion on everything waited until she was 60 to vote? That didn't make any sense. Growing up, opinions on the Kennedys, the Reagans, the Clintons were always shared, discussed, and debated. My center-right father and his center-right mother were cousins of President Eisenhower. They didn't believe that wealth trickled down, they knew better, but they had a family member who was in the GOP, so they kind of followed suit. They loved FDR, but always thought that Ronald Reagan brought them some kind of comfort for whatever reason. And all the while, my mom bit her lip, and knowing her, that had to be so hard, and she probably bit that lip so hard that it bled. But on Election Day 2000, she grabbed my arm and said, let's go make sure that we vote for Gore. You see, our families shape how we view the world around us, including how we view politics, especially when it comes to the presidency. Our families look to the first family to see themselves in whoever is occupying 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue at the time. Looking back at history, the rowdy Teddy Roosevelt clan made America feel excited about having such an adventurous family in the White House. His cousin Franklin's family similarly thrilled Americans a few decades later. The young Obamas reminded us of the young Kennedys, who like the young Clintons all raised their children under the magnifying glass of the executive mansion. The Bushes and the Fords moved their teenagers into the same house where the Nixons and the Johnsons hosted weddings for their kids. Whoever wins every four years must make great personal sacrifices in order to take residence in the nation's most prominent home. Jimmy Carter had to hand over the reins of his peanut farm in 1977 to his family. Ronald Reagan came in four years later and had to forego all the quiet time at the ranch that he so enjoyed. Children and grandchildren watch as their families are picked apart in the media, their every step scrutinized. It would make anyone hesitant to step into the presidency. That is, unless, you plan to ignore all of it. If you never make the sacrifice to begin with, then perhaps living in the White House is a total walk in the park, tear gas not included. And that's where we are now. We have a president who doesn't connect with American families in quite the same way that others have in the past. The Trump family dynamic seems more like an episode of succession than it does anything else that we've seen from the first family in nearly 250 years. There are no pets running around the halls, no family enjoying one another's company among the intense work of running the United States. Even though a massive fence has gone up to keep Trump walled in, we don't need a physical structure like that to feel like this iconic home is no longer ours. Or at least we don't understand what's going on behind those walls. If we elect Joe Biden next week, all of that changes. The Bidens have something different than the Trumps. They seem to genuinely like each other. And they seem to really like all of us, too. There's a connection in seeing a family that has dealt with loss, but stays connected. A family that will link arms and fight together for what's right and what's decent. It's that desire to have our leaders reflect the core of who we are that changed my family from formerly apathetic to virulently anti-Trump. While my mom is no longer around to see how the Trumps have changed the profile of a first family, a great example is my brother. My brother arrived home from work a few weeks ago to see his wife watching the first Trump-Biden debate. In his 30s, he's never voted, no matter how hard I tried to lobby him over the years. He never registered to vote. And after watching 10 minutes of our president constantly interrupting his challenger, my brother decided it was time to help give someone else the job. Right then and there, he registered to vote. And since then, he's cast his first vote for Joe Biden. If the first family is a reflection of families in our country, then this one has projected a dark reality onto us all. Families have never been more distant from political differences to the need to actually be physically distant from one another during COVID. We can't all be together if we wanted to. If Trump didn't drive the wedge between people who love each other, then certainly COVID-19 has come in to ensure that we're all at a distance for a time to come. And maybe we've finally grown tired of the distance. Maybe we want to be united again. Time will tell. But having a family in the White House that feels this division, they understand this division, and they want us all to be better off, really sounds refreshing.
0: Well, that concludes this month's episode of Stonewall Spotlight. I'd like to take this time to acknowledge that many of us have been working on overdrive to see the candidates we want win. We've been phone banking, canvassing, writing postcards, encouraging family and friends to vote, and so much more. I know I'm fatigued, and I'm sure many of you are as well. I want to thank each and every one of you for supporting the Democratic message. It's more crucial now than ever, and no matter the outcomes, up and down the ballot, The Stonewall Democratic Club will be here, continuing to fight just as we've always done for over 45 years. Until next month, thank you for listening to Stonewall Spotlight.